here at our second birthday, um, you know, we've spoken a lot about what God has done. And we recognize that there are moments where we struggle to believe, even though we know who God is, we wonder, but will he do it now? Will he do it in this situation? And I think if you're facing one of those moments, I hope that you're encouraged today. Because none of this exists. It's the, many, the, the amount of times that our church was on the brink of not being able to have another Sunday, either financially or venue-wise or leadership-wise or, or you know, in terms of crises or emergencies or things that we've been through, there were so many times where we thought to ourselves, is this it? Is this the end? And if you've ever stepped out to really do something, you'll know the challenges in the battle. But I thank God that when He looks at our lives, He doesn't look at a moment. He doesn't look at your moment of emergency and define your entire life according to that emergency that you went through. He doesn't look at a moment of lack and define your entire life or a moment of failure or a moment of sin or a moment of of, of a flawed uh, imperfection that was revealed and define your entire journey based on that imperfection. He looks at you according to who you are in Christ and every plan and purpose that he has for your life. That's how he looks at you. That's how he views you when he looks at you. Um, And uh, and so we're, we're, we're... incredibly grateful for every story. We're incredibly grateful that this is still only the very beginning of our story and that God has so much more that he wants to do in this church um, in the days that lie ahead. And so today is really about giving God glory. We want to give glory to God. Last week we spoke about what glory means because we realize that it's a very Christian word and and we might understand it in a a worldly way as well in terms of attaining glory and those kinds of things. But what does the word glory actually mean? Last week we spoke about the hope of glory and when it comes to the glory of God, it really just means an expression of the essence of God's character, the beauty of who he is. So when we say we're giving glory to God, what we're saying is we're expressing his character traits, the beauty of his faithfulness and his love and his kindness and his grace. We're actually giving voice to how we feel about who God is. That's what it means to give glory. We're, we're calling out his faithfulness and, and celebrating his goodness and speaking about um, uh, his incredible love and the incredible love that he has for us. And so um, we want to give glory to God today because we've tasted We've tasted and we've seen that God is good. In this journey, in this story, in our own personal lives, in all of these stories you heard here today, no matter how many times you think you're lost, no matter how many times you think you've messed up, no matter how many times you think you're not gonna come back from this, God just continually goes, I am good. That's why the scripture said, taste. Go ahead and taste and see that God is good. He is faithful, he is true. And so just in 10 minutes today, I wanna share a quick message with you on the faithfulness of God and about fighting for the future. Fighting for the future. Fight for the future. The, 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 the things that God has called us to, how do we fight for them? How do we fight the good fight of faith? How do we fight for a city? How do we fight for our own family? How do we fight to become the people that God has called us to be? How do we stand in faith for those things? And I wanna um, look at a guy in the Bible who had such a fight within him, but the key thing is to know today, it wasn't his own fight. The Bible says that the Lord will fight on our behalf. And so God puts a fight inside of us. He put a fight inside of Anchor Church. He put a fight on the inside of your heart and he's going to call it out of you. He's gonna raise it up. He's gonna speak it out. He's gonna draw it from you through moments where he's gonna reaffirm the reason why he called you to be alive, the reason why he created you. And so God put a fight in a guy called Nehemiah in scripture. And he placed this fight in his heart and it was related to this calling that Nehemiah had. What do we mean when we say calling? 
What is a calling? A calling is simply what God put inside of us when he created us. The very thing that we're, we're, we exist for today. The very reason why you're alive. It's something so deep and fundamental to who we are that we find no matter how you try and avoid God's calling on your life, you, you kind of somehow always head in that direction. And we truly discover it and walk in at the moment we meet Jesus and, and it's revealed to us, this is the calling, similar to what Jody shared earlier today. She's like, a chartered accountant, yes, meets Jesus. Okay, no, not, not that, you know, something else. And God takes us on a journey and it doesn't mean that you can't be a chartered accountant and fulfill your calling. It just means that sometimes God awakens things in us that are so amazing. And ultimately, this is intended to do three things. When God awakens your calling in your heart, when he called us to plant Anchor Church, there's three things that, that happens. Number one is we glorify God. Your calling will glorify God. What God has called Anchor to do doesn't exist to make Anchor famous or to make any person famous. It exists to make Jesus famous. It exists to express the character and the nature of God. That's why we're here. We want people to know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And so through our music and our worship and, and, and everything that we do and, and everything that you even do in your own job, in your own career, in your own family, your calling, because that's part of your calling. If you're a, a husband today, it's part of your calling. If you're a wife, that's part of your calling. If you're, if you're a, a, a parent, that's part of your calling. If you're, if you're a boss or if you lead, um, or even if you're an employee, all of these things are a part of our calling and we can live those things out in a way that expresses the, our faith in the character and the nature of God. Everything that you do, you can put Jesus in the center of it and it can glorify him in that way. Number two, to serve others. So when we reach our calling, we, we, we are able to glorify God, we're able to serve others. And serving others, it's similar to the first one in glorifying God, except that this is sometimes something that we have to intentionally decide to do. That you're gonna use what God has given you, your giftings and your, and, and your specific way that God has put you together and place yourself in a position where you can love and serve and bless others. And we are passionate about that at Anchor Church. We want people to discover their destiny and then start getting involved in making a difference. And this is something that, we, that we're really, really passionate about as well. In other words, you can use what God has given you to not primarily serve yourself, but to consider others as more important than yourself and to see what God has placed in your hand change the lives of others. And it can change in the now. You can actually help people today, but it can also help people, more importantly, in, in eternity. Why do we do what we do? Why do the leaders that were here till late last night setting all of this, why, why were they here? Not one of them, okay, one of them was paid. <laughs> but everybody else wasn't. Why do we get up? Why do we work hard? Why were we here early on a Sunday? Why do we do what we do? We do it because we believe God has placed something in us that we cannot keep to ourselves, that we have to share with the world, that we have to use to bless others. And it's the most fulfilling thing that you can do. Number three, to bless you. When you step into God's calling for your life um, and, you, and you're able to, to, to step into the thing that makes you come alive, it's a greater blessing to your life than anything else you can imagine. It fulfills you, satisfies you, drives you, gets you up in the morning. It makes you feel like, because it's true, that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And, and I've had to work on that whole thing that Kurt was talking about, about you know, not having one question asked and then going till four in the morning with an answer. But, but, the, but the problem was is that it's so related to who, who I feel I'm called to be 
and what I feel I'm called to do. So when you start getting me talking about the scriptures and about Jesus and about his heart for, for a city and for the world, like uh, it's hard for me to stop because it just comes pouring out and it's so fulfilling. It, just even being on this journey has been one of the most fulfilling times and, and seasons in my entire life and I pray that it'll continue for many, many, many years to come. And so we're not here to seek comfort we're not here to talk about how easy we can make things for ourselves. We are aware that there are people in the city that don't know the goodness of God. There are people in the city who are unaware of the incredible future and calling and, 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 and destiny that God has for their lives. And we want to see people awakened. That's what our church is really about. And uh, we can cast some vision here this morning on our second birthday to say that we are just waiting for multitudes and multitudes and multitudes and multitudes that God will bring. Not so that our church can look good, but so that people can be awakened to the plans and the purposes that God has for their lives. We want people to be able to, to discover that and walk in that. And so um, I'm just going to read the scripture to you, Nehemiah 1 verse 1. And uh, just looking at Nehemiah, it says, it came to pass in the month of Shislev, which I, I'm not sure if that's also from Eastern Europe, um, in the 20th year, as in Shushan, I was in Shushan, the citadel, and Hanani, one of the brethren, came with men from Judah. So the context here is that Nehemiah is in exile with the rest of Israel. They were taken captive by the Babylonians, and they've been taken into Mesopotamia where the city of Babylon was, and Jerusalem lies in ruins. Their city, their home, is in ruins, and they're in, in captivity. And so uh, these people come along, men from Judah, and, and he asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The people are suffering. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burnt with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for many days, Nehemiah. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And he goes on to, to pray this great prayer in Nehemiah 1. But isn't it amazing how people come alive when they discover the purpose that God has for them? How incredible it is what God does deep inside of us when we realize that God is calling us to something, when people are awakened to the full potential. And it's more than what you can do, it's about what you see. It's about how you approach your life. It's about what you believe. What we realize early on is that this is the most valuable thing that we can be a part of. It takes precedence over everything else that we can seek for ourselves, uh, comfort that we can create, success that we can achieve. All of a sudden you realize that this thing that God has put in my heart, it begins to consume you with a passion, like Jesus said, a passion, a zeal for God's house has consumed me. It's eaten me through. I'm, it's, it's all I exist for. And it's so valuable. So much more than getting people to like us or, or having our friends cheer for us or receiving a reward or, or being celebrated in rooms or, 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 or making it your life's effort to just go further and further and to be experts in our field and captains of our industry, to be rewarded with money and nice things. The people that have achieved all of that, that stand right at the top of those industries and right at the top of those successes, often look down and go, why am I still unfulfilled? And we've heard so many testimonies of that. There's nothing up there. You spend your life climbing up a ladder to get to the top of the wall and you stand at the top of the wall and you're like, okay, but now there's nothing here. And when you but when you discover God's 
plan and purpose for your life, there's something much deeper that God does. It, it fulfills the deepest longings that we have. Nehemiah, it tells us, was the cupbearer of the king. A cupbearer of the king in Babylon, Artaxerxes, in this great nation of Persia at the, the height of the empire, the Persian empire. And Nehemiah, this Jew from Jerusalem, is the, in the most trusted position in the land because he holds the cup of the king. He's the one who, who, who gives the king his drink and makes sure and often would have to take a sip first in case somebody was trying to assassinate the king so that he would lay his life down for the king. And so Nehemiah is in one of the highest positions in all of the land. He is living in the palace. He's at the king's side. He, he had a seat at the best seat in the house, whatever feast and festival he was at, whatever um, a place the king went to, he was there. He ate the best food and he often had the ear of the king to himself. He had reached the very pinnacle of one of the empires that was at the pinnacle of leadership in the world at that time. And so in short, Nehemiah was good at what he did. And that's an opportunity he could have gone, hey, Jerusalem, it's burnt down, it's broken, forget it, I'm living in the palace. I've got everything I need around me. I've got all the comfort that I need. I've got all the things that, that I could hope for right here with me. And he could have just sat back, except for the calling of God on his life. Except that when God speaks to your heart, comfort doesn't matter anymore. What people think about you doesn't matter anymore. Your position, your loftiness, it doesn't matter anymore. You become consumed with something greater. He has everything that you could possibly want and yet he mourns and he, he, he cries out to God and he begins to, to pray. When you know that you've been called for a great adventure, it's hard to live out your days sitting on the couch. It's hard to be complacent. It's hard to sit back. So Nehemiah hears that Jerusalem, this once glorious city of his people, is burnt down. And he sits down and he weeps. He sits down and he, and he actually begins to weep. And there's something so, there's such a great clue in here for your own life. Because you might be sitting here today and saying, what is my calling? What am I passionate about? What, what is God calling me to? You want to know, you want to find a great clue? What makes you weep? What makes you angry? What makes you frustrated? What is the thing in the world that you're saying, I wanna go out and I wanna change that? Because oftentimes when you discover this, this compassion in your heart, like the Bible says that Jesus looked at the people and he was moved with compassion. It's literally like a pain in your gut. You, you, you're bent over, you, you can't handle the, the compassion that you feel for people. It's a great clue to what you're called to do. It's a great pointer to where God is, is calling you to get involved. What saddens you deeply? What makes you pray to God and say, God, help me change this? For me, it lies in the gospel. I'm incredibly passionate about helping people understand what the Bible really says, what the message of the cross really is all about, who you are in Christ, what your identity is. It's, it's what, what we're all about. And I love seeing people change. I love seeing people going from the outskirts to kind of testing. You know, a lot of people test things out to a point where the penny drops for them. I'll never forget, I had a friend who used to come to my, my connect group and he came to my connect group for like three years and he was always kind of reserved and never really got involved and you could see he wasn't completely convinced. And one day I took him with me to church and it was an evening service and I remember he came out and he looked at me and there was something different in his eyes, something I'd never seen before. And he was like, Adrian, you need to help me, I need to get saved. 
I need to give my life to Jesus. And, and he was almost like, help me, what do I do? What do I do to be saved? And we sat down on a bench outside of the church and we prayed together and he just began to cry. And right after that, we went for pizza at a pizza place that was close by and nobody else could talk. He hadn't said anything for all of those years and now he's like, okay, so how should I read my Bible? And, and, and well, how, okay, tell me about prayer. How does prayer work? And all of a sudden, something had been awakened in him. That's what Jesus does. That's what happens when we, when we see Jesus. So like Nehemiah, we cry out and we say, God, we have to do something about this. And so he's serving the king and the king notices Nehemiah is not himself. And he says, you're not sick, Nehemiah. What you're feeling must be in your heart. Go and read the story. It's incredible. He's like, what's going on? It must be something in your heart because you're not sick, but you look sad. And Nehemiah makes this request. He says, can you let me go? Will you allow me? And the queen is sitting with him. And, and this is an incredibly scary moment to ask the king of a nation that the king had conquered if he could go back and rebuild that city that his nation had destroyed. Hey, can you send me back? My, my city lies in ruins. I have a heart for, for the city. I have a heart for broken walls. I have a heart for, for burnt stones. I have a heart for, for doors that are off their hinges. I wanna see restoration come to place. Can you, can you release me? Incredible. The vision that God puts in our hearts to rebuild broken things, broken lives, broken hearts, broken families. And he finds favor in the eyes of the king. In Nehemiah 2.8, it says, the king granted them to me, gave him letters, asked people to provide him with materials. The king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You see, when God has called you to do something, his favor on your life will be so uncommon that even those that have previously destroyed or sought to destroy you and your people would be the ones, the very ones who will bless you the very ones who will set you up to go out and to make a difference. The people that most betrayed you and, and most stood against you will be the very ones to launch you into the thing that God has got for you. Incredible what God does when he's got a calling on your life. Nothing can stop it. Even Artaxerxes himself says, he has the letters, go rebuild your city. Go rebuild your city. It doesn't make sense when we walk in the grace of God, the good hand of God, as he puts it. You can expect this uncommon favor in your life. And we've seen that as a church so many times. Why does God do that? So many times we were like, is this the end? Is, is God gonna come through for us? There was, there was a time when we needed to buy sound equipment for this church. And we didn't have money to buy this stuff. And I was lying on the couch and I remember we had like maybe 2,000, 3,000 rand in our church bank account. And I was just lying there and I was going, Jesus, I, wanna, I want people to be able to hear me when I speak or hear the band or we just wanna do church. And I lay on the couch and a couple that was in their, I think they were in their, in their early 30s and wasn't even a part of our church. I lay on the couch and a, and a, and a notification came through and I had to count the zeros and, and they had given 100,000 rand. Just one couple, just like, hey, we felt God. I was like, they're not even in our church. They're not even, how does God, he just does this. Why? Because he ordered it. He called for it. And so he provides for it. Man, we're so looking forward to all the things that God is still gonna provide all the things that God is still gonna do. There's such a journey that we have to look forward to. In Nehemiah 2 verse 12, it says, then I arose at, in the night and I had a few men with me, Nehemiah. He goes to Jerusalem, he gets up at night, he goes with a few men. He says, I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. What I love about this is that you don't need people to verify God's calling on your life. 
You don't need people to come to you and tell you, oh, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, we'll let you know when you can, when you can do what God has called you to do, or, or we're disqualifying you now um, from doing what God has called you to do. No, people are great, and we need counsel, and the Bible says there's wisdom in the counsel of many, but the calling that lies at the core of your heart belongs to you, and it belongs to God, and no one can disqualify you for what God has. You don't need verification from everyone in the world. You know what God has called you to do. But God will send you a few good men, a few good people, good men and good women to stand around you. And I look at the faces around here and I'm like, these are the good people that are standing with us now. And this group will only grow, but together we'll journey and we'll see God do amazing things because all we need is a few good people. In verse 18, it says, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. I told them about how gracious and faithful God has been. And also the king's words as he had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. Vision. And they set their hands to a good work. Hey, hey, Anchor Church, I believe God has put something in our hearts to do in this city. As we say that, God begins to speak to hearts and people stand up and they say, let's build. Let's build. Where can I get involved? Where can I serve? How can I help? How can I be a part of this thing that God is doing? Because he's put it in our hearts. Let's rise up and build. And they put their hand. It got practical. It got real practical. They put their hand to the work that God had called them to. This is the grace of God. He gives us this vision in our hearts so that we can build together. And all these groups of people began building. It says in, in verse, uh, chapter 3, 7, and 9, and I'm not going to get these right, names right, but it says, the men of Gibeon of Mizpah uh, repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uzil, the son of Harhiah, uh, one of the goldsmiths made repairs. And next, Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next, uh, Raphiah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. And I love that it talks about what these guys did before. Because what it says is it doesn't matter if you're a goldsmith or a perfumer or the son of a politician, there's a place for you to build in this house. There's a place for you to be a part. No matter what your vocation is, we are all building the kingdom of God together as we've been called. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what your vocation is. We get to build. We get to work. And it actually says that the people came together saying, let's build. And they had a mind to work. They had set their minds on this. Then came opposition, like it always does. Whenever you step out to do something for God, there will always be opposition. There will always be resistance. And it happened with, with Nehemiah. The kings and the, and, 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 the, and the rulers around Jerusalem didn't want Nehemiah to rebuild the city. And so they planned these attacks against the city. And so Nehemiah calls everybody together and he says this in, in chapter four and verse 14. He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome, and fight, fight for the future, fight for your brethren, sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. He calls them together and he says, fight for what you believe in. Fight for your family. Fight for what God has called you to. Fight for your calling. Fight against discouragement. Fight against feelings of shame and unworthiness. Fight against the things that will draw you away from God's plan and take him at his word. He says in verse 17, those who built on the wall, or those, it says in verse 17, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. 
Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. A tool in one hand, a weapon in the other. What's different here? You know, a lot of people have tools. They, they go to work every week and they kind of, you know, Wednesday, you know, they call it hump day because you're over the hump and then you get to, you know, closer to the weekend. And then they're like, Friday, you know, thank God it's Friday. And they just live to get done with work and go. But when you believe in what you're doing, you don't work just with a tool in one hand. You're fighting for what you believe in in the other hand. You're fighting for what you believe in. Your work becomes your fight. What you do becomes the way in which you fight for what God has called you to. You find your purpose in Christ and you won't let anybody take it from you. We're building this city and if you try and stop us, we're gonna fight you. We're building this thing. We're doing what God has called us to do. When you know that God has, has spoken, when you know that God has called you, you find your fight and you're able to fight for the future. When your work becomes more than work, it becomes the fight inside of you. That's what God has called you to do. We fight for what we love and for what we believe in. You know why we do that? Because Jesus fought for us. Jesus fought for us. We were lost, all of us lost. And God said, I love these people so much. I'm going down there with a tool in one hand and, and a sword in the other. And I'm gonna fight for these people that I love. And Jesus fought the good fight all the way to the end to being nailed on a cross so that today you and I can be made a part of this story. Today you and I can reconnect with our Savior, with our King, with our God, and we can also find the fight inside of us which would have been dead without the presence of Jesus in our lives. That's what we get because Jesus fought for us. And we won't be stopped. We will never give up doing what God has called us to do until we've built every single thing that God has called us to build in our lifetimes. And it's not about us. Then we just carry that torch of the gospel over to the next generation and they continue to run as we cheer them on from heaven. There's a great future in life. It feels long, but it's also so short. Let's be circumspect about what we get to do on this planet, right? Let's be circumspect. Let's get involved. Let's not hang back because there's a great work to be done. There's a great fight inside of us. I see this church, this city, this generation. This is our fight. This is our fight. This is what God has called us to do. And we're gonna keep fighting until Jesus brings us home. Nehemiah 6 verse 15 says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul. In 52 days, they built the entire wall of Jerusalem. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. I believe that people will look at what Anchor Church becomes in the future and I think that they're gonna say, it couldn't have been Adrian. We know Adrian and it couldn't have been him. We, we know the, the team there. It couldn't have been the team. We know the people that go there. It couldn't have been them. This was a work of God. And no matter how much the devil comes against us, no matter how much the enemy, at the end, the enemy himself will be disheartened because God will do what he has determined to do. And that is our future. That's where we're going. What an incredible privilege 
to know that God is the one who goes before us, fights our battles, establishes us, and allows us to be a part of an incredible future. So my call to action for us today, church, is let's fight for it. Let's fight for every soul. Let's fight for every heart. Let's fight for every marriage. Let's fight for every family. Let's fight for every person who doesn't know Jesus. Let's fight for a city and then maybe another city and then maybe we'll go on to a couple of cities. Who knows what God is gonna do? But let us start the fight because God has already started it in us and we'll come alive the moment we step into it. Isn't God good? Amen. Let's, let's pray together today.